right, we are back with another edition of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. My name is Kyle Bird, and with me is my co-host Matt, Matt Parmley. Yes, hi, hi Matt. And How a, are you? And a, hey, I hear a cat too, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, it's okay. <laughs> and uh, we have a special guest today. Matt, why don't you introduce uh, our guest for the evening? So we have Mr. Rashad Santiago, who I was kind of more familiar with from uh, season six of Face Off. But we're here today to talk about your film, Terror from Beyond. Beyond? Is that is that right? Did I screw that up already? No, nope, that was perfect. Okay, perfect. Um, Just so far so, beyond, even beyond. <laughs> But uh, thank you very much for joining us. And we're going to talk about a lot of cool different things. Uh, I actually want to start off by asking just kind of what are your uh, big special effects inspirations? And maybe just tell us a little bit about um, what made you want to make this particular film. Uh, Okay, so I'll start with the first part uh, as far as like my big inspirations. Um, uh, Like most of us, us, uh, one of the first uh, monster movies that I ever saw was the black and white uh, 1954 Godzilla, so the original. Um, and that kind of got my wheels turning um, just on a creative side uh, to want to draw and sketch and kind of make these uh, characters. Um, and I think my inspiration for the film uh, just came from my love from Ray Harryhausen, stop motion films to uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, just there's something about uh, the characters, the score, the simplicity of the stories, um, just having an overall love for uh, the genre. Um, and I know me and my friends have talked a bunch of times about wanting to make uh, a black and white silver screen stylized movie. Um, and I had made it a point this year that any idea that we came up with in our heads i was gonna jot it down and i was gonna try to take it from idea to uh uh, finish film awesome so why don't you um talk about the actual creature design and the special effects and, and maybe talk a little bit about how you learned some of your craft um so are, are you talking about like the creature design for the movie or just in general um, was referring to the movie, but you can honestly, I know you've made a bunch of different things. So you can kind of talk about maybe your approach overall, just in, in, in general. Okay. Um, we wanted to uh, make something that was recognizably kaiju, um, but, uh, you know, we feel like lizards and dinosaurs were overused in that arena. Uh, so we went with more a mammal. Uh, when we started talking about mammals, the topic of a seal came up. Uh, because we wanted to make it aquatic, because that's where all these giant monsters come from, right? They're just under the water, and then one day, <laughs> they just show up. So uh, we went with a seal. Uh, we started looking at seals, and of course, the leopard seal hops right out, because it's the larger, more aggressive uh, one. And uh, then I just started uh, tweaking facial structure and gave it some arms, uh, and it just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of worked uh, for uh, the character design for the film. It just, uh, especially once I started uh, throwing it up on Zebra. I, I think I, I might have sketched it down like really briefly, but I really started playing around with it in ZBrush. Uh, and when I started doing that and I 
solidify the concept, then I um, went ahead and made the puppet head that uh, you can see on the the Kickstarter smashing through the building. Um, and it just it just stuck. Um, and when you're as far as like character design in general, um, it, it really depends on the project. Um, I know in the past working with different directors and producers and like different concepts uh, that they may have, um, it's just a matter of what the person wants to see, um, what their inspiration, where they're drawing their inspiration from. Um, yeah. So for us, it was just kind of drawing inspiration from, you know, wanting to see a map massive beast uh, smash through some buildings and something that I don't want to say has hasn't been seen before because I'm sure there's some giant I think his name's like Maguma or something like that it's like a weird yeah, war yes. Yeah. yes so um, I've been thinking um, we wanted to do it in a I don't know uh, I guess a cooler uh, way a modernized uh, way uh because that was something we were talking about as well, is do we make the suit look like it was made in the 50s or do we make it look like it was made now, but the movie takes place in the 50s? So more like a modernized monster just put in that setting. Um, since we have the ability to make the creature suits much better, um, and one of, our, uh, one of my inspirations was how From Beyond the Fog, um, just seeing uh, how... <sighs> Not that it's easy to make a movie, but the fact that, you know, I do have a background in special effects, there should be no reason why I'm not making a movie every couple of months, you know, because I have the ability to do so. I have the material to do so. Yeah, Howl from yeah, Beyond I'll... the Fog is great. So just uh, how did you make the leap from a fan to someone who actually has learned the craft and 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 things like that how did you actually what how did you actually start making your own models and creatures and such um for me it was a way to focus when i was younger uh because i struggled with like attention in school and focusing on the teacher trying to teach us about math and stuff and it was just like this is boring i much rather be watching godzilla <laughs> so um, I started with 2D art, um, and then that transitioned into three-dimensional and wanting to take what I drew on the paper and see it three-dimensional. So I used to make little Godzillas out of, like, aluminum foil and cardboard, and, and then I remember when I was, uh, I think I must have been, like, 16 or 15, uh, 17 when I first started sculpting, uh, with clay, and I was like, this is fun, um, and... At that time, I didn't know that, you know, what I wanted to do was a, a job. I just knew I saw people making it on movies and I was going to try to get into that arena any way that I could. Um, at the time, there were no schools around me that offered a special effects as a, a major <laughs> for college. Um, and I knew that the only ones that might have been available were out in L.A. at the time, and I just didn't have the financial backing to make that kind of trip. Uh, so I just started going on this binge of just kind of watching as much behind-the-scenes features as I possibly could on all my favorite movies, um, and it was just kind of like a learning, learning process from there, just 
absorbing as much as I could, doing lots of tests, saying lots of bad words because those tests were going badly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it was a... And then I didn't have anybody to reach out to either. I didn't know anybody who was doing that. So it was kind of like... A, I was kind of like my own teacher and, and you know, uh, Stan Winston was one of my biggest inspirations and I loved uh, everything that his studio put out as uh, just some of my favorite things to look at. I think I watched Jurassic Park more than I watch anything like uh Especially like the behind the scenes features, you get a lot of cool shots of like them sculpting the dinosaurs and how they built the dinosaurs. And um, yeah, I just kind of taught myself uh, how to do a lot of things. Uh, and it's been uh, it's been a fun journey. So you mentioned uh, Godzilla and in regards to your new film, you mentioned uh, Magma, the big walrus. But other than yes. that, what are some of your favorite Japanese monster designs um, out of the billion that there are? <laughs> uh, I would have to say uh, my two like all-time favorite are in the Godzilla universe, uh, Destroya and Biolante. Uh, just for the sheer, I think, sheer size of the suits, um, in comparison, because, you know, to us, Godzilla's already huge, you know, he's this towering giant and those suits kind of made him look short and small. So I've always enjoyed the art and like the behind the scenes photos of like them making these monstrosities, um, and then in the Gamma universe, I really think that um, uh, um, who's uh, Legion? Um, yeah, Legion was a oh, man. Every me, me and my buddy say it all the time. Every time we watch it, it's just it's such an amazing suit. Like it, just the the artistry and the construction behind it. Um, again, one of those monsters that. It's just towering above the monster that you love, and the monster you love is already massive. So it's like, how much bigger is this thing? Um, especially that aerial shot with like uh, Gamera face down on the floor and Legion towering above him is just phenomenal. Um, as well as uh, I, what's it, uh, Iris or Iris from the last one? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Last trilogy. That is just. Uh, that's been one of my most favorite monster designs of all time. I, it sometimes it, I don't know how people come up with things like this. It just looking at it, it's like how do you design something that awesome? And I remember seeing it for the first time as a kid, and uh, this store. I used to live in the Bronx, Bronx, New York, and this little store that was on the corner had a model of Iris just like up in the corner and i remember seeing it as a kid and not knowing what it was from i knew it was a monster but i just thought it was the coolest thing and then i remember when i got older and i saw gamma 3 for the first time and i was i made the connection and i instantly i ran down to the store that was still there and they still had the figure there and i purchased it right then and there and i was like that's that's what that's from uh but yeah um I any other ones? Um, I'm pretty sure there's 
there's tons of them. Uh, like you said, there's just so many of them. But those are some of my more favorite ones. Have you uh, ever so, seen how the the big Legion bug suit actually was like operated? Yes. Uh, like we there's there, the, yeah, there's like a guy. The back part is like a guy like laying on his back <laughs> or something, <laughs> and then the front part yeah. is someone standing. It's 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 an insane way to operate a suit. But it it just again with how the, to think. To put two people in the suit, which, you know, they've done before in Hollywood, but to put two people in the suit that way and to have one guy who is literally the the front of the suit dragging around the second person who's in the back who can't see what they're doing. And they're just kind of, you know, orchestrating this thing's movements is it is beautiful. It's 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 a it's a beautiful, beautiful design. And, and that's why, you know, again, we wanted to do this movie. Uh, just to kind of pay our respects and to show like that kind of artistry is not dead. Um, although there's only going to be one person in the suit that we're making, but that type of artistry for suitmation is not dead. Um, and uh, we just want to keep that torch burning. So I want to pivot a minute to your experience on uh, and with Godzilla Heritage. Can you kind of tell us just how you got involved in the project, what your work was like on the project? Well, it was a, a fun chain of events. Um, when I was uh, doing my, uh, as us fans do, we search Godzilla things often. Um, I came across Chris Elchison's, uh the Kaiju Killer uh, film that he had up on YouTube. Um, and then I reached out to him and I was friends with him for a little bit. And uh, he told me about his buddy Greg that was working on or trying to make a Godzilla movie. And he was looking for somebody to make the suits. Um, and then he connected me with uh, Greg, Greg Graves. And I started talking with Greg about making the, the Godzilla suits at the time. But this is, uh, this is uh, pre, uh, pre-face-off. This was like maybe, I don't know how many months before I actually got on face-off. But... Um, then I did face off, uh, and then when I came back uh, is when I started coming uh, up to upstate New York to start working with them uh, on building the suits for Godzilla uh, Heritage. Um, and I was in uh, one of Greg's buddies, Tim's house, uh, building Godzilla in his sun porch because I didn't have a studio at the time. Um, and uh, I would just make trips up to uh, Batavia um, and, uh, work on the suit, uh, uh, for however long it was, maybe like a weekend, it was like a couple days. And then I would make the drive back down to, um, or take the bus, excuse me, back down to the city. And I was doing that for, uh, I don't know how long that was before we finally just decided to move up here, uh, because it was so nice. Um, and then, um, I think once they started, we, the the initial suit that I did, which was the Godzilla suit, which we took with us to uh, Denver Comic Con, uh, that was to kind of show the people what we were trying to do, and then to get the funding to build the suits um, professionally with the funding from the Kickstarter. Um, but uh, they wind up doing the Kickstarter, they wind up getting uh, the funding for it, um, and then I just wound up getting wrapped up while they were waiting to get the funding 
in some other projects. Um, so I wound up recommending another artist, uh, uh, Chaz Vance. Uh, he was on the uh, Jim Henson uh, the series that they were doing on sci-fi. Um, I recommended him to be able to do the suits, and he wasn't that far from where we were uh, uh, location-wise. So uh, Greg and Tim reached out to him to see if he can do the suits, which he agreed. Um, ultimately, what wound up happening is they wound up getting shut down from Toho. Um, they released a trailer, uh, which I think was up on YouTube. They put on Facebook and that kind of thing. And uh, basically what they were saying, what the executives were saying or whoever was saying from Toho was that they didn't want the fans to be confused as to what Greg and Tim were trying to make. They didn't want the fans, because people were commenting on it, saying that this was like, uh, you know how some of the fans, oh, this is a legit, this is from Toho, this is Toho's new project. So I think in between that and some other things, um, that's what kind of urged Toho to kind of reach out and say, hey, you know, you guys won't be able to make a full feature. Uh, you guys can only make a project that's about 10 to 15 minutes long. Um, and uh, I can't remember some of the other stipulations, but uh, yeah, that's what uh, wound up happening. Yeah, I think I saw, I mean, <clears throat> I've, I've seen it and I, I think they released it pretty widely on like Facebook and, and YouTube and everything. And there was a kind of a big hubbub about it or whatever, but um I remember one of the stipulations having something to do with the amount of money, maybe budget, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't, I don't know if you have any insight as to that as well. But mm. I am curious, like how much, how much does a suit like that, the Godzilla suit specifically, how, like how much would a suit cost to actually get made from the ground up? You're looking at, I mean, I don't know. Okay, so depending on how it's done i mean if it's fabricated you can do a suit like that from anywhere from like i want to say 10 to 15 thousand dollars um but if you're sculpting and molding and doing all that work you're looking at easily like maybe 25 to 30k uh a suit um i know for heritage uh they wound up uh making a deal with the actual guy who was doing the suits i don't know what the actual uh budget was for his him to make all four godzilla and three yeah so he was they came up with a night you know a number where he was going to do you know a discounted price for all four suits um mm -hmm. but it just wound up not happening. It just wound up not coming to pass due to, um, I guess, the suits not being made uh, in a timely manner as well as... Uh, that's why there is, uh, for those of you who might have seen it, because um, they did release it on... Uh, you know, if you did back it, you did get the Vimeo link. Uh, they did wind up releasing it. I think it was this year. Um, earlier this year. And uh, there wound up being just a lot more CG in it because of that reason. I know that was something that uh, um, some people had mentioned. They were like, well, we thought there were going to be the practical suits, but uh, with the actual suit maker not completing the suits when he was, I guess, contracted to, they wound up opting uh, out for CG. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Do you think Toho had a problem with it being crowdfunded? Um, I don't think they had a problem with it being crowdfunded. I think with, like I said, with everybody posting and sharing and Toho's name being brought up a lot and being connected to the project, which at the end of the day, that's something that is a conversation that I have a lot with uh, uh, intellectual properties is um, I would if I had uh, a character out there that I designed and there were people making, I mean, Greg and Tim were making that movie not to make money from it. And I think that's the confusion that Toho had. The Mm. crowdfunding was so they can have the budget to make the movie and not to be pocketing that money themselves. So I think that's kind of where the confusion came from. Um, in not knowing, I guess, enough or not wanting to know enough and just seeing the dollar amount that was connected to the Kickstarter. Um, But even still, you know, uh, I I say that they were, you know, because they could have shut everything down and said, you know, we don't want you to see, we don't want to see anything out there. Um, But they did allow uh, for us to make that 15-minute long uh, video. Um... With Godzilla and Anguirus in it, uh, which was pretty cool. And um, I think uh, it's just uh, it's a, a learning curve. So now we know better for the next time. <laughs> uh, which is why I opted out for doing a brand new character. And uh, one of the reasons behind that, I would love to do a Godzilla movie. I would love to do a Gamera movie. I would love to take one of the... I loved growing up and make a movie on that. But then you got to worry about going through, jumping through these hoops of fire uh, when you're dealing with somebody else's property. Yeah, that actually doesn't sound too yeah, that- different from, um, there was a Japanese uh, Gamera fan film, uh, Gamera 4. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the the, the studio has, has been really kind of like, you know, they said you can make this, but you know you can't. Re- but you can only have like free screenings. Um, you know, yeah. you can't release it anywhere. So it, it and, and from what I understand, the reasoning was similar in that you know it's called Gamera Four. You know, a lot of people might think that it is you know their product, and so I, I think it was a similar case there. Um, but uh, so yeah, yeah, good. No, I was I was gonna say I, I just think when you're dealing, you you have to try your best to put out as much as you can, and as frustrating as it might be, that it is for not you're not doing it to make a profit. You're not selling it. You know, you are a fan. This is a fan film. You have to constantly talk until you're blue in the face. Because even with as much of that as they did on Heritage, there were still some people who were confused. I mean, yeah, most of their videos started with massive print saying this is a fan film you know the the characters are licensed by toho and all this other stuff and people would still get confused so um i think when you're dealing with uh again the intellectual properties you just have to you gotta walk on eggshells um and uh just watch how you do it Uh, a lot of these a lot of the companies are starting to crack down on that i know there was something about a star wars fan film uh, a couple of years back that there was like this huge court case for, um, the, the, you know, cause Disney, uh, and it, it's, 
it's sad because, you know, as fans, we want to make these things not because we're trying to make millions of dollars off of it. We're just trying to show our love and support of these things because we want to see more of it. Or we may have a story that we want to tell that hasn't been told yet. You mentioned um, Face Off a couple of times. So can you just kind of tell us, A, how did you get involved with Face Off? And then obviously uh, you won that season. Mm -hmm. Um, but just kind of take us through that process and maybe talk about what you learned during your time on the show. Um, well, I was watching face off at the time it was airing, I think season three and then season four. And it was after watching season four that, um, I was like, I think, um, I think I'm ready to, to try this. So, um, I remember seeing a face Wait, no, I auditioned. I tried to audition for season four. That's what it was. I was watching season three, and then I caught the auditioning for season four too late. Um, and the guy uh, that was doing the casting and the auditioning, he said, well, you just missed the, the season four. Um, so when we start casting for season five and auditioning for season five, I'll let you know. Um, so we kind of watched season four, and I did the whole like going through watching season four and prepping for each challenge the way they did on the show. Um, and then once they started season five, I remember seeing the Facebook uh, post about it. Now casting for season five, you know, they were receiving submissions. So I sent in a, this submission video of me just talking about my love for monsters um, and me applying a makeup. At the end of it, it was me applying a makeup to myself. Um, and then uh, there was like this whole six month process uh because i think at the time that they were casting for season they were casting season five and season six simultaneously um so that was uh about a six to seven month process from the time that i started from the time that they actually got the call to be on face off um and just being on the show was amazing it was um it was definitely mind altering in, in the sense of knowing that somebody of my background uh, could, if they had the passion and the drive enough, they could make that happen. Because as I said before, I didn't, I didn't have any money. You know, I didn't come from money. Um, and uh, at the time, right before, literally right before Face Off, I was ready to hang it up. Um, I was ready to say, you know, this maybe this is not going to happen. Um, I wound up getting like a, a job at White Castle. Um, because I was like, you know, I've got to work for myself. I've got to support my family. And, you know, that's, it was like, right when I had that thought or right when I got that, you know, maybe I'm not good enough thought is when I got the call about that they were going to bring me on face off. So that kind of gave me my second win. And then just being on the show was awesome. I mean, it, they put you in an environment where you don't, have anything else to worry about besides what you're working on. We didn't have access to the computer. We didn't have access to our phones. We were sequestered in a way where all we had was our creativity to drive us. Um, there were no distractions. Uh, we, we had downtime um, in between challenges. Sometimes we would have a day between the, the next challenge or we have two days between the next challenge, but um, it was all done in a way to we didn't we didn't go crazy um and they put us in a shop that literally had everything like again everything that 
I could possibly needed to make the visions in my head become a reality was again spectacular. Um, and I learned so much just being on the show. Um, and I met so many awesome people being on the show. Uh, I made wonderful friendships. Um, and uh, it definitely was though the point that set me off on my uh, career path. Um, just, you know, even if I didn't win, it was just a great experience in itself. Um, but winning the show definitely catapulted me um, and just kind of put my name out there, show people what I was capable of doing. Uh, I was doing a lot of comic cons right after. Um, and uh, now I've got my own studio where I do this stuff uh, every day, um, getting to make monsters and werewolves and vampire, you name it. It's coming into the shop and I'm making it. So it's definitely been an awesome experience. Um, so face off obviously probably got your name out there. What, uh, what are just for some people listening, what are some of the projects you've been involved with since? Um, there's been, uh, one of the first things that I worked on that was pretty awesome, uh, was a full werewolf suit that I did for a music video, uh, by ghosted, uh, called get some, uh, where I had 10 days to make a full werewolf uh, that had like an actuated jaw. And uh, it was it was pretty cool. Uh, my first werewolf, I was really excited. Um, I also got to make a uh, seven foot seven dolphin man. They originally wanted it 12 feet tall. And I was like, OK, so if you guys want a person in this, we're not going to find anybody that's 12 feet tall. I said, I know somebody who's seven foot seven and we could use him. So uh, that was actually a lot of fun because they gave me, they were like, they just pretty much want like the head of a dolphin on like a really strong man. Uh, and I kind of took like creative freedom with that. They gave me creative freedom to kind of blend it because I didn't want it to look like something out of SpongeBob. I wanted it to look out. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to look like something that could either really be a real thing or just looked really cool. Um, so I got to do that. It was for this uh, collaborative film that was taking place down in Miami where they, they it's called, it's called uh, Omniboat, a fast boat Fantasia. There was like a bunch of directors and producers got together and they each had to incorporate this speedboat into their movies. Um, so the Dolphin Man was one part um, I got to do like this squid whale thing for another film that was a part of it. It was only about 24 inches long, but when they composited it into the film, it looked like it was like the size of a blue whale. So it was, that was pretty cool. Um, I got to work on an independent Batman film uh, where I got to do Joker, uh, Nightmare Batman, uh, Two-Face, and then I got to make like a full Batman uh, suit for the ending. Um... I've gotten to do um, oh my own feature. I don't want to speed past that. My own feature film uh, back in 2016 uh, entitled Beast of the Water, um, which was uh, the original idea I had was going to be the movie was going to be called Enuati. But when we went with the distribution company, they thought that switching the name up would make it a little easier to find. Um, so uh I filmed that back in 2016, a little bit of 2017, and a little bit of 2018, and then it was released last year, uh, early 2019. Um, I'm going to pause here for a minute and just talk about how that project, because that was actually our next question. 
Oh, perfect. Just talk about how that project came about and maybe um, what what are the biggest challenges that you actually faced? What were the biggest challenges you faced in shooting that film? Okay, so Face Off is actually how I met uh, Rick Prince, who ultimately was the guy who got a three-picture deal um, and gave me one of his picture deals uh, to make Beasts of the Water. So Face Off actually connected us, and that's how I was able to make that movie. So Face Off actually, you know, helped me with that movie too um, in making that connection. Um, uh, and I had originally done a Kickstarter for it, um, that didn't go through. And he saw that and he said, um, well, he's actually working on his first picture. Um, and he's involved with some people who had the financial backing to potentially help me make my movie. If I would be willing to wait a year, um, he could make the introduction and I would just have to tell them my movie idea. And since I didn't have anything else happening at the moment i said screw it i'll wait the year um uh some time passed he reconnected with me and uh brought me down to nashville to do a makeup demo at the kneecap um and then that's when i got to meet uh pam and foster and you know we went to their house uh we were having dinner and basically i just had the floor to tell them about my movie idea um i told them they loved it um, and then they greenlit for me and Rick to write the script. Um, Rick mainly just took the ideas that I had in my head and put them down onto paper, which is something that I was struggling with at the moment. Um, and then uh, we started making the movie. And I think one of the biggest challenges, I think, uh, which is not a challenge at all, but just mainly just pure excitement, was having that much to be in charge of um, because it was a official production and there was so much going on and, you know, so much that I had to try to, you know, I, it felt like I was on somebody else's project. Like I wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was such an amazing experience. And, you know, there were several times where I'm just staring at the monitor and, everybody's like waiting for me to call action but i you, you know it i it was just it was an amazing experience um but i think some of the other uh challenges was uh just trying to uh tell a, a story uh that was my first time being at the helm of a ship that big um so there were a lot of things afterward after filming that i look back on that i was like man i there was so much more I could have done. And I think that's one of the biggest things is like the not knowing. Uh, when you're working with a low budget movie like that, I can imagine like no day. It's like a, they always say like no day ever is going to go exactly how you think it's going to go. Mm. And it's, it, you know, for me, you know, coming on the heels of, you know, I don't know who these people are used to working with. And like I said, it was such a professional, every, every cast and crew member was professional. You know, I'm the type of person where I don't, I, sometimes I don't feel like I have the right to tell anybody, you know, what to do, but they're looking to me like, Hey, how was that take? And I'm like, Oh, uh, it was great. It was, you know, it's phenomenal. You know, just seeing my story come to life in front of me, 
was just something like I, I just can't express and I can't explain just watching. And it, it took a while to get, you know, do that first run of filming. I think I can't remember how long the first run of filming was because I we did some in 2016. We had some pickup shots in the spring of 2017. And then I know we did some more pickup shots in 2018. But uh, each time just got I think I got more and more comfortable with being in the driver's seat and knowing that, yes, I do have the right to, this is my vision. This is my movie. This is how I want to see it. And I think that's what took the longest to get to um, is just knowing with all these other giants, what it felt like all these people who've been in the industry for a really long time and have done this a million times that yes, you have just as much say so and power as even more so than they do. Um, and, and when I first started, it didn't feel that way because I was new, you know, I was kind of like the new kid on the block. Um, but yeah, uh, th there weren't many challenges because besides what I just mentioned, it was a well-oiled machine. So I didn't really have to wear too much hat. The only hat I had to wear was director, um, which was, something that I wasn't used to, you know, on my own individual, excuse me, individual things that I've done over the years, I had to wear so many hats. And for this, they, you know, I just sat in the director's chair and I looked at the monitors and, you know, I spoke with the actors and, you know, when, you know, Daniel came on as a creature, I gave him kind of like, here, this is kind of like what I would like you to do. And that was it. So it, all, all in all, I think there were less challenges and, and more fun. And um, I, you have uh, Steve Cardenas, who was Rocky, the Red Ranger, the Red Power yep. Ranger. How, how? I mean, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just I remember meeting him at a uh, a Comic Con, and you know, fanboying out then, and then thinking about, hey you know, he was really cool. You know, he was really down to earth. And I was like, we sh I should try to get him to be an annuity. So I remember switching information with him and him just being like cool about it. And then when we had him on set, it was just like amazing. He was hundred percent professional. You know, uh, he made sure that everything he did was what I wanted. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun just being again, like I said, at the helm of these, you know, seeing that's somebody who I watched growing up and now he's looking at me and asking me if his performance is good. So, I mean, there's, there's no way to put that in words. The next person I'm trying to get like that is, is Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then that'll, then I can die. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with, with the, uh, the beast from the water, um, were, were there any particular things that you were looking for that inspired the, creature design in that film yes uh the original design for the monster is not what you actually saw um my original design was more reptile um bird-like in the face uh i mean the best way to describe it as funny as it may sound it was like if you took a chicken and you mixed it with a crocodile um the best way to describe it um and at the time, I just, you know, I've, as my brain thought it was cool, but I was like, I need a second pair of eyes to look at this and let me know. So I remember having Steve Wang as, you know, a childhood inspiration on Facebook. 
and being saying, you know, I'm just going to write him a message. And if he responds, he responds. And if he doesn't, cool. So I sent him a message and he responded. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, you know, Steve, while I've got you here in Messenger, what do you think of this character? So I shot him a, a picture of the Enuati. He thought it was cool, um, but he thought that it needed more character, um, which is bleh. as a little comment and uh, critique as that is, it was everything that I needed to make the Enuati what he wound up being in the film. Um, so I took the Enuati and he kind of went through like a design process where I was like removing things and adding things. And, you know, um, since the Enuati was based on the Machi Manitao in uh, Native American folklore, which is the water panther, the water panther kind of had this, um, it never had a solid description. Some people either saw it as a bird, some people saw it as a lizard, some people saw it as multiple things. So my ultimate idea was what if its features, depending on how you were looking at it and the lighting made it look like all these things. So, you know, I incorporated like the, the, the muscle structure of like a panther, if you were looking at it from a certain angle and then, you know, when the mouth is closed, the way the chin hangs, uh, it would look like a bird's beak. Um, so I was trying to incorporate all these things to bring across this just awesome monster. Um, and uh, then uh, over the course of however long it took us to, um, from my original sketches of his redesign to my maquettes to the actual full suit, um, I, I had so much going into that, like uh, just... Uh, the dinosaurs of Jurassic Park, um, the Predator, Alien. I, I really wanted this thing to be uh, an iconic monster, just something that you know you would hear the music of and you would know it, or you would hear the raw of and you would know it. Like that's the thing that separates, you know, the icons from the, you know, the sci-fi originals is, you know, there's not a person alive who doesn't know what Godzilla's raw sounds like, or what the theme from Jurassic Park is or the music from Jaws or, you know, there's all these iconic sounds and that's kind of what I wanted for him. Um, there were some things that kind of happened on the back end of the movie making that kind of went uh, left. Um, but uh, all in all, that's what went into the character's design. Okay. Um uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned Steve Wang. Shout out to Steve Wang, by the way. We we, <laughs> we we had him on on the on the podcast uh, a little while back, and it's it's got to be one of the best shows we've ever done. He he's just great. But uh, yeah, I remember thinking the the creature in um, the Enuati. I remember thinking this looks like something out of the Giver. So I don't know if that was intentional or if it was just like. <laughs> came from your subconscious but i totally saw oh, yeah. steve weighing in in what was going on there <laughs> yes he he was one of my biggest inspirations like i got to go to his shop back in i don't know if it was 20 it might have been 2015 i got to go to his shop and like have a conversation with this is right around the time he was making like the big gromash for um blizzard that big mm -hmm. troll with the huge tusk um 
So he was like walking me through the shop and he was showing me like each section that people were working on and like the 3D prints. And and then he kind of took me into where he was working and uh, he was kind of sculpting the inserts for the mouth and just watching him sculpt and just like talk. And in behind me, he had like the the like hell comes to, to what's it? Hell comes to frog, frog town. Yeah, yeah. Frog town. He had the like the original heads and, you know, he sculpted those when he was like 17 and it's mind boggling. Like I I was like when I was 17, I was like, I said, Steve, you must have been like born sculpting. You came out of your mom with like sculpting tools. Cause there's, <laughs> like if you I don't know if you guys have ever got a chance to go to a shop, but just looking at his stuff up close does not do any of the pictures that they take it justice. Um it, it it was just again mind blowing to, and then his his I don't know if if that's his wife or his girlfriend now, um, but anyway his girl well, I'll just say his girlfriend just so I don't, uh, but his girlfriend uh, who he's still with uh, that's why I said I don't know if that's his wife, um, she sculpts like just as good as he does. Like, I was like, you guys are like a power couple. I was like, I don't understand, like, how that happens. But, yeah, he was one of the nicest people, one of the ones I was the most nervous to meet um, because I, I don't know if it was done intentionally, but, like, 30 seconds before I met him, one of my buddies leans in and goes, oh, yeah, he hates face off. <laughs> and I was like, I, I like, froze up because I was like, I'm like getting ready to shake his hand, and that's what you tell me. <laughs> so, um, you know, I shook his hand. I was like, you know, Steve, you're, you're like a huge inspiration of mine. Uh, I love the work you've done, and you know, I was just gonna kind of keep it moving. And he goes, "You were on Face Off, weren't you?" And I was like, "Oh my God, here it comes." <laughs> so I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I was on Face Off." And he goes, "You won, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he was like, "Oh, that was you know, cool stuff." So then we started talking about the show, and I'm like, "Oh, he doesn't hate Face Off." They, he basically told me that his he doesn't like critiquing people's work. He doesn't he feels like the show kind of puts like a negative uh spin on like critiquing people on their work that they only have three days to do. Um but he said he doesn't hate the show and you know he thinks that what's done on there. They contacted him several times about first they contacted him about being a contestant, then they contacted him about being a judge and then a they contestant. contacted him. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> then they contacted Hilarious, right? Gee, <laughs> I wonder who's gonna win. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> every everyone, every challenge, just Steve. Um but yeah, so he's an amazing, amazing artist. Um and I remember asking him, I was like, yo, Steve, what we gotta do to get like a third guy for a movie? And he was like, Money. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually exactly what he told us on our episode when we asked him. <laughs> that's funny yeah <clears throat> well we're we're getting down to the nitty-gritty and i want to talk a bit about why we we had to come on the show to begin with so tell us about tear from beyond beyond and uh like what what's what's it going to be about what can we look forward to so it's a classic uh it's a, it's a story one of the ones that's you know about scientists who are trying to prove that prehistoric life still exists in the 50s and that uh, they just have to be found when one washes up on the beach um, 
they find out that it's an infant uh, that was killed by the military doing some testing, some weapon testing. Um, and then the mother comes searching for the dead infant. Um, and uh, then the scientists who are trying to prove that this kind of life exists have to be the one to come up with the plan to kill it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's like the whole story in a nutshell. Um, so, I mean, I, I've got this amazing composer, uh, Cameron Moody, who just, if you guys want anybody listening to the Kickstarter, if you want to go check out the Kickstarter, there's a link to that score that he did that just... If you close your eyes and listen, it just takes you. But you're on a ride, journey back to the '50s, and it's it's a beautiful piece. Uh, we've got some more music coming, um, and then this is just going to be again a practical pyrotechnic, like uh, just having fun with this thing. Um, every shot that I would like to get done is just again my love letter to the films of that era. Um, and hopefully if everything goes according to plan with this one, we'll be able to do another one after. So you, you mentioned kind of some of the, um, the practical things we'll be doing for the movie. What kind of special effects methods are you going to be implementing? Um, we're going to be using suitmation. Um, I actually did a stop motion segment about 16 seconds, I believe it is, um, for the opening of the film. Uh, just again, a wink at Ray Harryhausen and, you know, the films of that era. And, you know, that was the only way they could get those images at the time, um, which I will probably never do again. Uh, it was <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have my stage uh, set at a level that was comfortable. So I kept having to lean down and move the puppets. Uh, and it took about 488 pictures to get that segment. Uh, the camera was on a dolly, so any mistake or bump or nudge or anything like that. So it was ver- backbreaking work, just to say uh, the least. Um, and um, so we got suitmation, stop motion. Um, there's some puppets uh, going to be in there. I am trying to decide whether or not I am going to do it in the style uh, traditional with actors um, or if I'm going to take the approach that they did from how from beyond the fog, which would cut down scheduling and um, uh, just the, I, I know that the whole COVID uh, 19 thing is still looming and I don't know how comfortable people would be. And it would also give us a, a an option to go with some recognized talent. Um, I was thinking about doing little puppets that look just like they're, people who would be voicing them like a little Lance Henriksen puppet. And, you know, when I say puppet, I don't want people to think about like Kermit or (laughs) Elmo. (laughs) Um, More stylized, realistic, um, uh, like that. That way we could do everything in-house and not have to worry about anything else that would come with trying to get location or anything else of that matter. Everything could be done in house. So still playing around with that idea, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, But yeah, those are uh, some of the techniques we're going to be using for the film. Um, Besides the, you know, the big mammal we talked about, um, are there other creatures in the movie? No, Uh, this is the origin, I guess, of uh, his her name, because, uh, you know, it's the mom that comes out, uh, is Cavalier Odontis. 
Um, I basically was trying to come up with uh, names for it. And I was like, why don't I just go to nature or to like old uh, the way they come up with scientific names for um, creatures anyway. So I kind of went into like Google Translate and uh, I started typing in like uh, like Big Tusk, Terror Tusk. Um, and I think the one that I finally uh, was like, okay, that sounds good, was uh, Death Tusk, which came out to Cavliodontis. So I was like, that sounds like a real thing. So uh, in the movie, there's going to be that little segment of uh, uh, the, the love interest, Barbara. She's going to open up one of those dinosaur books from the 50s. And there's going to be like a little drawing of Cavliodontis uh, kind of swimming and eating like a, a megalodon or something. Uh, with like a picture of like its skeleton and a scientist standing next to like a tusk. Um so uh, we, I kind of thought that through a little bit and just that just goes into like character design because I wanted this thing to not only be kaiju-esque, but I wanted it to be something that could really exist. Um, so we kind of did the research and figuring that stuff out. Um, and she's, you know, she's pretty cool. Um, I want to say that, but I'm not going to say that because <laughs> I'm going to leave that for the filming um so besides you um yeah like what what kind of uh you know how many how much crew do you actually have working behind the scenes right now it's just me it's right. me um cameron moody uh the composer um and uh, I just actually got with this marketing produ uh, uh, promotional uh, company that's going to be uh, reaching out to like super backers and things like that uh, to kind of help push the project. Because I think we're at like 20, 28, 27 days or some, somewhere around there. Um, so, you know, we're, we're kind of getting down to the wire here. And uh, as I said in the Kickstarter and as I mentioned before, we're at 26 days, um, is – if the Kickstarter goes through, then that'll be great. Because um, again, we're only asking for ten grand, which is you know in the film capacity, not a lot of money. And most of that money is going to be going toward the special effects side of it because we already have the camera, uh, we already have the space where we're going to be filming most of everything. Um, and I'm going to be making. I've already made the the puppet. Um, I've already got the miniature or the person who's going to be making the miniatures. Um, and uh, we've already got our score. There, there, there's so many things that are already in place that I've covered uh, out of my own pocket. So uh, the Kickstarter is just to help facilitate the cost of doing, I guess, again, the most expensive part is probably going to be the miniatures, um, doing the miniature city because we are doing a man in a suit and as you guys have no doubt seen, the sets for putting a man in a suit and then building a miniature city around him are massive. Um, we're going to try to get away with certain shots um, with how we film and not showing it from so much of an aerial perspective, uh, like they've done some of the Godzilla shots where you see the grand cities. Um, 
And this takes place down in like downtown Buffalo. So uh, there's there weren't much. Uh, the biggest, I think, miniature we're going to build is going to be about eight feet tall. Um, and that's just the uh, city hall or the town building that's down in downtown Buffalo. It's just this 378 foot tall building. Uh, yeah, um, but uh, we're we're just hoping that it does. And um, again, most of the pieces are in play. So the Kickstarter is just kind of like that extra, uh, which would help us get the film done. Uh, you know, in a more we would get what we needed faster uh, rather than it coming all out of my uh, my pocket and some uh, friends pockets. Well, obviously, it sounds like you're pretty far, I mean, into the production. Let yes. me ask you this. Like, let's say once everything gets funded, how long does is the shooting process going to take? And then do you have any idea of what you uh, anticipate the full runtime of the film being? Uh, the film itself is going to be without credits and end credits. I'm thinking 20 minutes, 25 minutes uh, total. Um, it's a short. I would love to do a feature, but uh, you know we would have to go into asking for a larger budget. Um, and and the idea behind making this movie and the idea behind this whole uh, movement that we're trying to do is. Uh, show people what we're capable of doing uh, with these uh, small projects. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Creepshow. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 we're, like, really inspired by the, how they were able to tell these feature-length stories in the matter of 20, 30 minutes. Um and that's kind of what we're gearing toward um, doing is doing this anthology based thing of mini movies that some may be connected, some may not be. Um, uh, and, you know, just kind of starting it off. I, I have another one that I'm I still have to finish off, uh, which has like this really cool she beast in it, which is going to be a part of that thing. And that uh, I, I funded that whole thing and everything that went into it. Um, but this one is a little bit bigger and it requires a little bit more, uh, the theatricality, theatric, I don't know what that word, theatrics. There you go. Um, as far as like the miniature sets and the pyrotechnics. So, um, that's why we went to Kickstarter. And again, if this one goes through and if it gets funded, then, you know, that gives us, I don't know, uh, I think a time frame to, to film, we would probably do it over the course of, because I would like for the movie to be released by the end of the year, for it to be done by the end of the year. Again, it is only 20 minutes long of a film of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and the things that would take the most time uh, are going to be those miniature shots and making sure that, uh, you know, our, our suit actor, um, is comfortable because uh, there are going to be some shots with him coming out of the wa actual uh, water. Um, we live right next to uh, some crystal clear water uh, that's kind of like this privately owned 
pond or lake or pond or whatever you want to call it um, that a buddy of mine owns. Um, and he, you know, we've asked him if we could film there before. And he said, yes. So we're going to build uh, the city's like a small portion of the city that leads right into the water. So he can just walk out of the water onto the set. Um, so I, we really are kind of playing this one by ear uh, be, because we have until July to see whether or not the Kickstarter is, is going to be successful. Um, and then from that point on, we could start making a real serious game plan of when we need to have everything done to begin to start filming. Otherwise, we're just going to have to uh, kind of do the same plan, but it will just take a lot longer because then we would have to see, okay, how realistically are we going to be able to let's focus on getting the creature suit finished. Then once the creature suit is finished, okay, let's focus on how we're going to get all these miniatures done um, in a timely manner without this is, this is me speaking. If the Kickstarter doesn't, become successful um how long is it going to take us to get all these miniature buildings to be able to film around then to actually film that then to do the thing with the actors so the the time frame right now is not a hundred percent set in stone uh but once the kickstarter is successful we'll have a better idea but again realistically it's only going to take us about a couple of weeks to film everything that we need because the length of the film is not feature length. You mentioned uh, the, the, the man in suit approach. Um, so what kind of material would you typically be using for things like the miniature buildings and the actual monster puppets and the suit itself? Well, the cool thing is, is that for, you know, not every building in uh, the miniature city is going to be destroyed. So a lot of those are just going to be props and buildings that are made out of like wood and things like that just to be set and some of them will have uh like on one side you'll see one building and if you flip it around you have another building that's so we can uh kind of tetris the buildings to make the scene look deeper than what it is to give it more dimensions um sure sure uh so that part there is a little, yeah, so like those buildings would be made out of wood. When you're talking about like destructible buildings, those get made out of plaster and they have like sawdust and powder and all this stuff packed into them uh, to give that realistic effect as long um, as well as like the miniature uh, furniture and things like that. Um, uh, the suit uh, is going to be fabricated out of upholstery foam uh, and then it'll have uh, the head hands sculpted um and then ran in a, a foam latex or flex foam um but we're only going to have one suit so <laughs> the one suit has to wear you know godzilla and gamma they had these multiple suits just in case something happened with this small production we're only going to have one and we're only going to need it for uh, a certain amount of time and a certain amount of shots um it doesn't get um yes it does I don't want to say that. I was going to say it doesn't get like the barrage that Godzilla gets in movies. Um, it, it probably won't be done in the same way where they actually put these little explosives on the suit and lit those suit actors on fire. We, we won't be going that far um, as much as we would like to, but we won't be going that far. Um, but yeah, uh, 
I'm trying to think of any other materials that might go into. Um, yeah, I think I mentioned the miniatures and then the suit. I think those are the, some of the only things that we would actually uh, need the materials for. So do you see yourself making a career out of being an indie effects uh, filmmaker? Or, um, you know, are you aspiring to, you know, climb up and, and do bigger things? Or are you more just looking to kind of do things your way uh, on the projects you want to kind of make happen? Well, that's the thing. That's that fine line when you start. I, I kind of experience a little of that on uh, Beast of the Water with uh, like cooks in the kitchen and seeing how uh, uh, how do you say that? Seeing how you know different people may want their vision brought across, even if it's not their film. Um, and when you start getting up into Hollywood and you start getting up there, you know, it's it it does become, uh, well, I'm putting the money up for this. So this is how I want to see this happen, you know, regardless of what you want to do. You're like, well, he's supposed to be green. And they're like, well, I paid the money, so it's going to be pink. And it's <laughs> like, OK, so th th it's a kind of it's it's you start to, I think. And it may not be that way. It may not be that way with every project that you work on. Um, but, you know, the films that we're seeing come out and the, the when you start watching the behind the scenes features and you start hearing people talk about like their experience and it's like, well, you know, they didn't really know too much what they were doing and they kind of wanted it to go this way. So if I could make it up the ranks to, you know, tell these stories and make the kind of film that I would like to make in Hollywood, that would be great. Um, but it seems like more freedom and the more say so you have, um, the more indie inspired and driven those projects are for that reason. Um, and some indie projects are, you know, millions of dollars. So, uh, the budgets are there and, uh, the audience is there and I feel like there's a, a, a need and, um, uh, for that content. There's a need for, uh, these new stories. Uh, every time I, I see a, a movie that I grew up with or something like that coming to the movie theaters, I, I get sad because I know they're not going to do a good job in telling that story. Um, and it's not because they don't have good ideas or the story that they're trying to tell is not good is there's too many cooks in the kitchen. And again, the with this, I mean, case in point, you know, uh, that new Predator movie that came out. Oh, yeah. That was <laughs> I, I, I have no idea why they Made the movie the way they did, and the thing that was sad is you know Shane Black. He, he, you know you worked on the first one. You saw yeah, what yeah. the first one. And the, in the, the it, written by Fred Decker, who like Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps. Like uh, you know, you, you you'd think it was a dream team, but yeah, I, I mean, there's but I remember there's like all these behind the scenes stories about rewriting things and reshooting like the whole third yeah. act and. You know, it, it's almost like yep. the the bigger the movie, the more compromise you have to make. And it's a, yep. you know, I, I can't imagine the balancing act that 
you know, a director is get, like the person in the middle, and yep. you have to like either do it their way or you really have to like be willing to say like I need to stand for something and almost be kicked off this project. <laughs> yeah. And it's sad, you know, it's I there's too many cases of directors walking off and they now they have to bring somebody else in to try to stop this boat from sinking where you know, if a movie's not good, it's not going to be good. Obviously, you know, I I figure that's why they do these test screenings, you know, but a lot of these these the big wigs, the people who are putting the money up and the people who are running these studios, they love those movies. They love to watch this. They don't get the lore. They don't have the the backing uh, knowledge that we as fans have, uh, you know. And if you want to make a Predator movie good, just pick up one of the comic books, the, the Dark Horse comic books. You've got it all fleshed out for you right there. It, it shouldn't be that difficult. Uh for the first one to be good, for the second one to be good, and then that's it. It's mind-boggling to me. Um, the the choices that they make with these movies and with the budgets that they have. I mean, the story doesn't have to include fifty people for it to be good. You know, just tell the story of one person and maybe one predator, and you know, or, or I would love to see the predator back in like samurai times. Yeah, you know? have you seen um? Uh, the, there was a Japanese fan film uh, for Predator versus Zatuichi. No, I haven't seen that. I'll have to send it to to you. But yeah, like, uh, there's a lot of good ideas that I think could be successful. But you know, the the people holding the rights and stuff think it that oh, it's too different. Nobody'll like it. But you know, I think some of those things people will be surprised. Right. Yeah, I think I think that'd be dope. I would love to see them uh, take the predator and put it in, you know, uh, uh, a setting that we're either not used to seeing or, you know, is more of a. I mean, because you've already put the predator in the jungle, you put the predator in the city. Like, I think they keep trying to make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be because the predator itself is a very simple story he's drawn to heat and conflict they've already set it up for you just find a place that's hot find and put a conflict there there you go predator is there <laughs> i know when yes. uh when found footage was a big deal i know uh who had the rights at the time oh new line yeah they, they wanted to do a new friday the 13th movie but like their stipulation was like it has to be a found footage movie and like every every director that they met with was like this doesn't make sense like it's the most simple formula. Like, just, you know, take Jason, have him kill some people. If you want to spice it up, put it in in the wintertime or something. But found footage makes no sense. And they were just so adamant that it had to be found footage that it, nobody ended up wanting to make it. And now the rights are in some other crazy legal hell. <laughs> so no one can make a Friday the 13th right now. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. Why anybody... like? it's not like you're dealing with new works. You know, you have, Jason has how many films? Nine? Uh, Twelve, which is sad because we can't even get to 13. <laughs> we can't even get to the number. We can't even get to the number. Uh, you have 12 movies that, I mean, they all have their own 
you know, fan base, like who loves which one more, but they're all done the same way. Jason wakes up, he kills a bunch of people in like the most gruesome fashion you have ever seen. There you go. And that's like what I think that this, that's one of the easiest films to actually make because there doesn't really need to be a, a bunch of story told there, especially with Jason. Everybody knows his story. If you want to mix it up, you could do it like, uh, what was it? Uh, Friday. What's 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 the one with him in space? Oh, yeah, Jason X. Jason yeah, X. Yeah. Jason X. There you go. You could do it that way. Do it some way like that. For what it's worth, that is like one of the campy movies that I actually enjoy watching. Oh, me too. Take that, it's, man. It, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate Jason X. I just, <laughs> it's, although it's, nothing is worse than Jason Goes to Hell. That movie is. <laughs> yeah, I don't. That's that's a bad one. <laughs> it's just it's the the campy movies that you enjoy, like. Right. Uh, there's just some out there that you just can't help. You're like, well, if I catch this on TV, you know, I'll finish it. Or if it's next up in the series, if I'm watching it, we'll watch it, you know. But it's it's sad that they just keep getting these movies wrong. As far as, like, Godzilla is concerned, I don't even want to touch that because that is a very, <laughs> very sensitive, sensitive topic. And I know a lot of people are not going to like what I have to say uh, about the new movies. Um, although Shin Godzilla was a, a very interesting and different take on the same story, um, but yeah, we're, I digress. Um, we were talking about, um, terror from beyond beyond, <laughs> right? The most beyondiest of beyond and, and, and the title itself was funny because this started off as a parody idea. And when I was writing it and I started getting involved in it, it just became more and more serious. And I was like, I, we can't make this. In, like, my gut was telling me this can't be a joke. This has to be something that is, you know, if somebody finds something funny in it, fine, they can laugh. But the whole idea is not to get people to laugh. The whole idea behind this is to tell a story that's some people can follow along with but you know it also has like a giant monster in it that's going to be smashing some stuff so uh let's not make it a joke because i feel like there's enough parody stuff out there already um and there's not enough love for this because i think when these films came out even though they were like creature from the black lagoon and films like that they were considered like b movies back then because you know, monster movies weren't, I guess, if, if an actor was in a in a monster movie, his career wasn't doing so well, I think it was, from watching one of the documentaries. Um, they were, like I said, considered B-movies. Um, but those movies are awesome. And they're some of the movies that I watch the most uh, because they're so cool. So we are wrapping up. I have a couple questions as we kind of take a, a pivot from uh, Terror from Beyond Beyond to Please. just maybe some. What kind of tips would you give to people that um, are would just be beginning in this line of work? And is there are there any specific books or videos or DVDs that you might recommend for a, uh, aspiring um, people just going into the special effects? Uh, well, they can pick up my book entitled The Way I Did It uh, at your lo No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I didn't even know you wrote a book. 
Um, that's a question I get asked a lot. Um, and it really depends. I mean, if anybody listening to this has a passion for anything, it doesn't even have to be this line of work. If you have a passion uh, for anything, just swan dive into it. That's what I did. Um, and some people may think that that's scary and it, it is very scary um, because you don't know where that's going. I didn't know that, you know, somebody would have told me that this is where I'd be sitting um, now having this conversation about how I did it. Um, I would have told them they were crazy because back then I didn't see when you're doing it and you're in it, you don't see the future. You can only see the now. Um, but it's up to you to make the future happen. And as long as you're in it a hundred percent and you know, this is what you want. I can't wake up a day without thinking about making a monster or sculpting a monster or what the next project is going to be. And that's why this is my career and what I've been doing for almost seven years, um, after face off, um, because it's what I want to do. It's what I wanted to do when I was like seven years old. Um, so if you have that passion and you have that drive, I would say go do it. Um, as far as books and movies, I don't think there are any books because I don't read much books. Um, I'm not a Rhea. I am a watcher. Um, and I do watch a lot of movies. I watch a ton of, I watch so many movies, um, even the bad ones, um, uh, because they are a good learning, they're a good way to learn and to study. I do a lot more studying uh, film than I do actually watching it for the enjoyment out of it. Um, when I'm watching a movie, I'm looking at camera angles and lighting positions and the mood and the actors and the music and the way things are set up. And it's it's a whole science behind watching a movie now that I never had before. I think that's why I can't enjoy a movie. I can't enjoy movies like I used to. Um, but if there was uh, a movie that I had to recommend somebody go watch, mm, if you've never seen it before, shame on you. Uh, but it would be Jurassic Park. Um, I don't know why that movie strikes such a hard chord with me. Uh, because dinosaurs, go figure, right? But um, <laughs> watching that movie now versus when I was a kid, you notice a lot more... Um, as far as like the story is concerned, like as a kid watching that movie, I didn't notice the underlining theme of Dr. Grant and his Dr. Sattler, their relationship and how, you know, she wanted to have kids and he didn't really kind of shying away from that. And then he gets trapped on this island in this situation where he's got to look after two of them. And then by the end of it, when they're on the helicopter leaving, he's, they're both sleeping on him and not with their grandfather. So it was like this huge, it was like this whole underlining story of this character. And you don't even, you know, as a kid or watching that movie for the first time, you don't really realize that that's what makes the movie good. And it's all that emotion and all that feeling that went into making that movie, that it's not just a monster movie, you know? It's uh, a movie that's grounded in realism, but also tells a compelling story. Um, and there's so many out there that you can watch that kind of do the same thing. But for me, that's always been one of the ones that I go back to and I try to learn uh, 
I've been trying to learn Steven Spielberg's like science to making movies because he's one of the greats that just gets it and the way his brain works with like camera angles and positionings and things like that. But yeah, uh, just they've got to have a documentary on Steven Spielberg. Just watch whatever that is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Learn, learn him. Um, And if you've got a passion for it, I'd say, you know, go for it a hundred percent. Um, and, uh, what, as far as just the craft goes, what would you maybe say to someone who wants to build a monster suit, but they maybe have never done it before, but they want it to look at least halfway decent, you know, where, what, what would you tell them to, to start with? Here's the thing when it comes to that, when I was starting out and I didn't know what to do, I used what I had available with at the time was tons of like upholstery, upholstery foam, excuse me, and hot glue. And if you have a passion and if you have a drive and you're going to make a monster suit, nothing on this earth is going to stop you from making a monster suit. I would just recommend you start saving because it is going to get expensive. Um <laughs> <laughs> when you start making a full monster suit. I started making a burning Godzilla suit when I was like 17 and I got to like the understructure of like the head and the neck. I had like up to the, I had like from his shin, uh, everything but a tail and hands and feet um, done just in like raw foam. And I was like, uh-uh. Like I saw the the finished picture and I just wasn't ready at the time for that kind of commitment. But if you want to make a monster suit, I would start watching as much behind the scenes features as you can. They've got this awesome, awesome. Uh, I'd say watch it now before they take it down. There's, there's <laughs> like a <laughs> behind the scenes of how they did the GMK Godzilla suit um, on YouTube right now. Uh and it, they take you from literally start to finish everything that they did in making the entire suit. And it is one of the best things I have ever watched as far as creature suit, because they don't shy away from showing you. They don't, you know, they don't show you how they sculpt or the technique of how to sculpt, but they show you the sculptures and they, they show you each piece as it is and the techniques that they use and it literally takes you they're talking in japanese i should warn you there are no subtitles but just watching them take concept of the miniature maquette of the gmk suit all the way through to they have the animatronic blinking eyes and lip snarl and something that i even noticed that they did with that suit after watching that video was he had a a chest mechanism that made him look like he was breathing. I don't know if they ever showed that in the actual movie, but he had that feature um, in the actual suit. Awesome. Um, so as we close out, tell talk to us again. I know we have Kickstarter going, but we, yep. where can people find you? Twitter, social media. And uh, yeah, just make sure you kind of close out with the, the Kickstarter updates. Awesome. Okay, so if people want to find me or follow me, uh, all the good stuff, you can find me uh, on my Facebook, uh, which is very simple. It's just Rashad Santiago. Um, I don't know what the ad is. You could just at Rashad Santiago. I've got uh, 
a fan page, which is like my my face-off intro video smiling picture. That's my fan page. Don't follow that one. Um, and you could at Rashad Santiago on Instagram. Um, and if you want to find me on Twitter, you just at uh, just at Rashad Santiago. Um, and then uh, my Kickstarter is live right now. If you just go to Terror from Beyond Beyond um, on Kickstarter, you can find it. If you can, it would be wonderful and amazing if you could just share it. You know, I know donating uh, right now is a little tough for people. And, you know, we just want people to share it and get the word out. The more people that are sharing it, the more people can see it. So, um, yeah, thank you. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you spending all the time with us today. And um, looking forward to, to seeing how this project turns out. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for having me. Uh, if you guys ever in the future want me back, I would be happy to do so. All right. Awesome. All right, awesome. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.